you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. You know, uh, a lot of our folks are here tonight, you know. Uh, Matt's mom over there, Helen. Uh, Helen. And of course, his sister and brother, Patty and Pete, they're here too. All three of my brothers are here. And uh, my McCready's pop is here with his buddy. And uh, Jeff's just folks were at the last show. But anyway, I, I was going to say that it's almost as if like they were showing off for the parent, but it's not. They do that every fucking night. Bigger and bigger. In some ways, I feel like they almost toned it down not to freak, like Mike didn't want to freak his dad out. Like, oh my God, my son's a monster. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking camera in the truck. now welcome to live on four legs the definitive live pearl jam podcast and we're preparing for the upcoming tour yes it's not weird to say because we have lots of dates that are coming nine dates in may and we want to prepare for all of them we want to get to all the california shows and and really by preparing we mean we want to go back and celebrate some of the best moments that the band has had from some of the cities that they're about to go and play in. And one of them, the first one that we're going to do is going to be the first one that they attend San Diego, California. Now, of course, we all know San Diego. That's Ed's home away from home. It's considered a hometown show. So we got a lot of very, very cool moments in this. And we have some special guests that we're going to bring in right off the top. Randy Sobel over here. John Farrar over there. Hello. hello. 
Yes, sir. Why don't we just get to them? Because they are two favorites of ours from the show. They're great friends. Talk to them constantly. And I'm really disappointed that we're not going to get a chance to see you guys at, at the shows because my goal for all this was to try to meet everybody and you guys are not going to the same destination i'm i'm i'm, I'm disappointed by that i i really was looking forward to getting in touch with you guys and, and having a good time but not to say that that can't happen in the future ladies and gentlemen want to introduce two great friends of the show who became friends before this was even an idea of a show deborah mcmurtry and dukes wooters hello everybody hey guys. hello What's up, National League East fans and beautiful Deb? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so as I kind of alluded to here, you guys, you know, before this all came down, one of my favorite things and why I say that I, I'm disappointed that we're not going to be meeting you guys, because one of my favorite things about going to shows is you just don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know who you're going to run into. And sometimes when you do, you make lifelong friends. And, you know, this how many times do we have to say that this band has the unique knack of doing that? And for you guys, that happens. That was what, eight years ago now, nine years ago now. So tell your story here. Yeah, literally at that show is where we met. So, I mean, my day started really early. I don't know about you, Duke, but my kid's dad got called into work unexpectedly. And I live 100 miles north of San Diego. And my kids were like, five and seven then or something. So I was like, oh my God, I have to go. I have to go now. And I have nobody to watch the kids. So I had to call my friends. I'm like, can you please watch my kids? And it was like a rainy day. And I remember driving down to San Diego and it was so beautiful. And I actually was picking up uh, my friend Calvin, who now lives in San Francisco, even then lived in San Francisco. But I met him at that same venue at a Pearl Jam show in 98. And so I had to like pick him up off the 405. And then we drove in to the show and we both had GA tickets but he likes to hang out back by the soundboard for the sound and I was like I'm just going to be independent me and just like get closer and hang out and I ended up next to Duke and we just you know throughout the show we'd like freak out at the same moments and then you know we just hit it off completely just as friends like oh I've known you forever right and I don't remember did we switch like phone numbers or Instagram or something yeah, I think, I think it was. Call? Yeah, I think it was Instagram to start. I like. I have this weird thing now with like when you start becoming friends with people, and you're just like, is it cool to just do phone numbers or Instagram? Like the common right, thing, right? Like, what's too invasive? What's like stalkery? <laughs> <laughs> just to tag off of that, Deb. Yeah, I just had a long day of work, and I actually took. There's a light rail that literally leads right from Old Town, San Diego and drops you off at the arena. And I was meeting my cousin, William, who has been a longtime Pearl Jam fan. You know, you're talking about a guy who was really into the heavy metal punk scene of Washington, D.C. and Denver. I saw like Nine Inch Nails first show in 88 at the wow. on Boulder's campus. He's seen, over, he's seen Fugazi over a hundred times. And so this guy is really, really <laughs> legit. Somebody's fan. thrilled about that. Really, really. John, John's like... John's like, I want to do a podcast with that guy. Uh, William would be happy to. But uh, anyway, he was stoked to come to the show. I got I gave him one of my 10 club tickets and we went in. The crazy thing was, is that I showed up around 6 p.m. 
And I still, you know, got these awesome spots, right? Sixth row or so, Deb. I thought that we were right there. If, uh, you if know, even that, like the yeah. floor seemed really empty and I got there way later than you did. And I was like, there's so much space. This is not the 90s anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Specifically uh, going off of uh, your conversation in the last podcast, you did the 95 show with, with your famous, you know, up in the air. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, so yeah, I ran into Deb and we just started shooting the breeze. And, you know, this is the conversations you have in the pit. I'm looking forward to getting back this year. Just the conversations and the friendships you you begin in the pit because you're all there for a central focus. And then you just get to find out like what everyone's about. Deb's a school teacher. There's another person I think next to us that sold jet fuel from Bend, Oregon. I don't know if you met that dude too, but <laughs> I don't recall to be really honest with so you. This is, I kinda so this is during like the two and a half hours after you've been led into the venue, you've got your spot, you're just waiting, like from that six o'clock to eight o'clock time period, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought yeah. I thought we didn't meet until like the show was happening. Yeah, I I actually think, John, I think that we were able to, like, we didn't meet until, like, maybe 7.30. And then they went on at, like, you know, 8.15, 8.30. Because the, yeah. the length of this show is just, uh, mm. is just beyond. Uh, this is, like, this is close to, I mean, it's not State College. It's not the spectrum. But, like, this is very, very close to under that tier. It's a long show. That's why I wanted to stay away from lightning bolt shows this year, just to give us some space. But alas, here we are. And of course, we wanted to talk to you guys. So tell us about what being at the show and like reacting to the moments and stuff like that. Like, obviously, everybody together is experiencing the same experience. But when you guys kind of notice each other and you're like, you know, starting to kind of develop a friendship. What was your kind of instant reaction to like knowing what Deb was, was thinking about the show and vice versa? Well, for me, just to like, I think that the conversation was very natural to start before the show began. And the one thing that I, I brought up, I know is that with the set list being released, like constantly, the one two nights before in Phoenix. And I know you guys haven't touched that one yet, but that first encore at Phoenix was just a murderer's row of lost dogs and B-sides. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe like, there's no way we're going to get this. And we did get an unbelievable show, but I just was like, ah, I, I really hope that they keep some, some B cuts for us for, for today because Phoenix really got lucky. So that was my first start. And then the flow of the beginning of the show, everyone was kind of just mesmerized. From See, and, and that's exactly why I go on blackout because I don't want to have these expectations or feel like I missed out. Like, oh shit, we're not going to get to hear blah, blah, blah. Cause they just played it. Can you and explain me- blackout to the listeners? I would love <laughs> an explanation yes, of that. Cause we know please. what blackout is, but So I honestly don't even know who started this, but this was way back in high school. It just was kind of a thing where, you know, one month before you go see somebody live, you're not allowed to listen to them. Oh, Um, I do that too. I, I, that's, that's crazy. Cause I do that too. A lot of the time too. Yeah. Wow. But it sounds like you still follow set lists. See, I don't watch anything. I don't read anything. (laughs) I will even like unfollow groups and unfollow hashtags and stuff on Instagram. Cause I, I'm very difficult to surprise. And if I even hear and like any little thing, I'm gonna be like, ah, shit, now I know, blah, blah, blah. 
And so it's just a thing I've done for shit like 30 years or so where I don't listen to them. I don't even really try to talk to anybody about them. Um, It's really funny because a lot of times I will be like in the line outside. Like I remember in 2003, that Shoreline Amphitheater show was the first one of my 10 show run. And I was sitting in line. I had my fingers in my ears. When me and my dude saw Tool in San Diego in January, someone behind us was talking and like he took a video of me. I'm sitting on the ground, got my fingers in my ears. I'm like, I'm not listening because I don't want to know anything. They're going to spoil things for me. And so, you know, it's just, I'm very, very, very devoted to that. But it pays off in the end because then, you know, when you hear even flow for the 80 billionth time, it's still new and fresh because you haven't heard it in a month. And then when they pull out, you know, like at Irvine in 2003, when they pulled out um, the slow Patriot, then I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And so, you know, it really makes special moments like amplified a little bit. And that's what I do. Are you on blackout right now? Yes, I am. Because my daughter and I saw Billie Eilish on the 6th, and then it was the 7th, and I'm like, oh, shit. Here we go. Oh, but mine should have been on the 3rd. Oh, I might have broken yeah. blackout by oh, a couple John. days. Oh, no. That's Uh-oh. what I'm saying. I'm looking at May 3rd. Is- <laughs> and then you're going to have to listen to this episode, too. Is that considered breaking blackout? <laughs> it is. Talking right now about it is bl- breaking blackout, technically. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, that song exists. That song exists. Well, and I'm- that is the cool thing with Pearl Jam changing their set list every night, too, is like, you really have a gigantic arsenal of songs that you're pulling from and you really do forget that some songs even exist and also you're getting the first one so you really don't right. know what the arena experience for the gigaton tour is going to be like right. you have a little bit of okay what they did at the festivals and what they did at the festivals feels festivals are different because it's not the the focus is on pearl jam but the focus is kind of on the day but when you kind of get in the building, like there are going to be Pearl Jam specific things that are going to happen longer sets and, and all that. Correct. And the longer sets I think is what I'm most excited for. Cause I did do the three Ohana days and those were very Pearl Jam specific for me. Cause I, you know, took a nap in the afternoon and then drove to the beach. Like I didn't do the whole day thing, but I still met up with our live on four legs friends. And then oh, we need those even stories a friend someday. of mine, even a friend of mine, Molly, that has been a Pearl Jam fan for as long as I have. And um, I had never been to a show with her and she saved me a place really close. And I got to hang out with her and Calvin and Scott came down. Scott came all the way out from Georgia. So like, it was extremely very, very Pearl Jam. Actually, Josh, from my first show, the guy I was dating way back then, that's now my kid's principal. He was at that show like five people over from me. I was like, oh my gosh, like it's, <laughs> it's the old crew is here. It's a family reunion. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the arena show's for sure going to be something special and especially um, Viejas, which used to be Cox Arena. I've seen them there more than anywhere else. I love, love, love that venue. I've seen Tool there more than any other place too. Um, it's just a sick. very... That's yeah. different it's than the sports very, arena, right? Yeah, It's uh, yeah. so okay. different, much yeah. smaller. And I'm telling you, though, those are the steepest staircases yes. you will ever go in in your entire life. So it's not an arena... Sorry, listeners. It's not an arena that goes out like this. Our hands are it's outward. Like this. Yeah, it's it's not this obtuse angle. It's like a very acute angle. And so even the far away seats feel so much closer. And it's just like the one ring. It's not like you have ring and ring and ring. So very small, very sentimental. And 
that was really special for me too in 2013 to be in that building specifically, especially with Calvin and then especially getting to meet Dukes. And it had been four years since I had seen him live, which was the longest stretch ever in the history of even knowing of the band. There are some really good moments in here that you were kind of telling us beforehand. And why don't we start with Ed's mom, who I believe is named Karen, but I mm-hmm. not hundred percent on that. Is it Karen guys? I believe not Karen Hayes. Yeah. Okay. Let's go with it. <laughs> sure. Karen, why not? So Ed, you know, introduces her. This is a part of the show where, he, uh, you know, Mike's dad is there and Matt's family is there. And of course, like Ed's mom is so kind of important to Pearl Jam, but you don't, she's kind of incognito. Like you don't ever see her. You don't really hear from her except for the story. That's not really what the story is, but you know of all what happened around it. So I don't really know if this is the first time you see her. I doubt it. I doubt this is the first time you kind of meet her during a show. I know you met Ed's grandma in Chicago at one point, but talk about when Ed introduced her and what happened after. I I think it was the first time I'd actually seen her, but there have been many, many, many San Diego shows where he's like, you guys, you're going to embarrass me. My mom is here. Okay. Uh, That's kind of what I thought. But this We're on a bit of a San Diego was... dry spell, by the way. It's San Diego blackout. This is the first one we've done since 11-6, I think. Since mine. Wow. That yeah. was a long ass time ago, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this was the first time she was actually and literally like spotlighted. And I think because this was fresh and I actually watched this about mm, 35 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Um <laughs> I think a lot of it had to do with his brother running the lights and knowing where their mom was. So he was up there and he was able to like go over there. And even Mike, Mike comes over to Ed's mic and actually points. He's like, your mom's over there. And he's like, I can't see anymore. (laughs) And so they pointed it to her and she gives like a big like a wave. And then this was right at the, in the middle of encore too. And then he goes, this is just a a matter of trust. And then he hands the bottle to the first person. And then it comes like literally directly right at Deb and I, and then we like, we're just doing it as fast as possible. We're just, we're just trying to not get kicked out of the show for taking a sip or something. So then it gets up to her very quickly. And then she takes it. She takes a good little chug. And then no, it was not a little chug. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was it was a giant chug. Yeah, she wanted to outdo her son. Yes. And he goes, it's genetic. It was so funny. (laughs) And actually, uh, my friend Anne Renee, who I met in line for tickets for the Santa Barbara show back in 2003. Actually, she's the one that had the first um, Pearl Jam Christmas party, which was really fun. Um, but she was literally the seat behind mom. And so you can even oh, wow. see her in the video and they hand it up to mom. There's like this green hoodie chick that like kind of comes down the steps and is like, oh my God, and that's Dan <laughs> Renee. But I also think that that is kind of, now that I think of it, another aspect of genetics is just, how Ed and this band want to just rock and roll and they don't want the limelight that because she could easily have been on the side of the stage 
or she could have just been in a VIP section. Right. But she and, goes, and no, you know something about a, a, a recliner for her, right? Yes. And, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> she just wanted to be part, just like one of the people, like, give me a spot that has a good view of the stage and I'm good. You know, that's kind of how you know where it comes from there. That's, you know, like people take out after their parents. That's pretty good. And she just looked like the normal, cutest little older Encinitas woman mom ever. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for saying grandma because I didn't want to like say she looked old because she didn't really look that old. No, well, I mean, it's, but, it was like 50. So, you know, yeah, she is. A, she is a grandma at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. she was then, too. But yeah, Encinitas grandmother is, you know, she looked like she enjoys her walks on the beach. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, Overall, and her name is, is Karen. I looked it up. OK, <laughs> I had a f- I had a feeling. But coming out of that show, what do you think of it? And you mentioned the, the Phoenix show and, and you mentioned how good that was. Like, how were you feeling after this? The Phoenix show, San Diego said, hold my beer. I mean, <laughs> I mean yep. all in all, all in all, it, 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 they're very hand in hand. And then you go into those L.A. shows afterwards and those are very good as well. But looking at it, listening to it, I mean, it's it was just phenomenal from start to finish the only part that really was the bummer of the whole part deb and i don't know if you remember this but Mm -hmm. i think around mind your manners those pricks from tijuana showed up and they just started trying (gasps) to push each other push to the the front what yes were they to the left of us yeah to the left of us and they started just trying to shove everyone out of the way to try to get up to the front and they had no (laughs) idea of what was going on and they were just and then he actually he drops the iguana. T- like we used to play iguanas in Tijuana and they start going nuts. And like mm-hmm. one guy got so fed up, they threw his, they, they grabbed those guys hats and just threw them into the back of the GA being like, you guys are complete jerks. You have no wow. idea what Pearl Jam etiquette is. Yeah. Right. Wow. This is not yeah. how we conduct wow. ourselves here. Yeah. It was a collective group by the chill San Diegans. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's why I prefer San Diego shows over LA shows any day. I'm closer to LA than I am San Diego, but there's just such a vibe to San Diego. That's so much more relaxed. Like I was saying, when my dude came out from Pennsylvania, and went to tool with me and we did the whole vip thing waiting outside and he was like babe this is such a different atmosphere like everyone's so i'm like this is what i've been trying to explain to you and especially with pearl jam like i've never left a san diego show disappointed i know it's not technically their hometown shows but for ed you know it is and i always think that they pull out special stuff and i felt it even that night you know before being able to check live footsteps and seeing oh tour debut tour debut tour debut tour debut like i i just love what they pull out and how they perform because it does feel like you're playing for friends and family there it, there's just a whole different like an extra layer of the veil is not there not like yeah. there's ever really one between the fans and them anyways but it's just it's less performing and more playing if that makes any sense. Yeah. In my no. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, there's a, there, you, they don't have to put on a show. There's a basic term to reference this show and it's just called, it's just fun. Everyone there was having fun, yep. whether it's Mike during even flow, trying to dodge the big green. Oh, that was funny. Things, the orbs. Yeah. The big orbs. Uh, whether it's just the conversations that Edward had. I mean, some people are just like, oh, well, you just like these stories. I love the stories, but you're telling like 20 stories this 
show. But this, the one with the souls leaving the body. That was a weird one. This well, I hope you guys. Oh, touch on his that experience. Because, yeah, yeah, looking in the mirror. And then he goes, "No, I wasn't on shrooms." <laughs> right. That was and we're all like, "Mm-hmm." He's like, <laughs> sure "Okay, I was." Yeah. <laughs> but then the you know the 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 little things that actually that touch on him growing up there when he dedicates army reserve to camp Pendleton. That was a mm-hmm. highlight for me. I mean, one of the more underrated Very emotional. tunes in the catalog, McCready and Cameron play off each other so well. And, you know, I they hadn't it's played just a it pleasant su- surprise, especially having followed the West Memphis three saga. So, right. Right. All right, guys, this was awesome. Obviously, from a standpoint, just hanging out with you for for a little while, like life is so busy, you never get a chance to. And especially because we're not intersecting on this tour and we're not going to be seeing each other. Maybe we can convince you guys to come in September, but on the table for now, well, we can talk. I know that that's school time. So September is way easier than May, man. May really? is rough as a teacher. Well, especially as a special education teacher, you have to make sure that all of your amendments are made for your IEPs and that your articulation for kids going to the high school is done and you have yeah, state yeah. testing and you have all of, there's so much. I hate May and my birthday's in May and both my kid's birthday and my brother and my sister. And I hate it. I hate May <laughs> so bad. So September I'll be like, Plus, I'll have more personal necessity days because I've used them all this year. So in September, I might be like, fuck you. Bye. I'm going on vacation. Look at St. Louis because that's a Sunday. That's I actually did look at flights. Alaska, there's a $347 flight right now. And I'm kind of thinking about it. Do it. For St. Louis? For St. Louis, uh, I am going to be in Wisconsin the week before for the Washington State Wisconsin football game. So it's that it's like, oh, do I just stay here and work remotely? <laughs> Why the hell? Okay, not, right? well, we're we're all going to like start a text thread or something because, yeah. especially Duke, if you end up going, fuck it, I will find some way to be there. Hey, because this hey. has this has to happen. Hey, Climate Pledge Arena Christmas shows. Let's do it all. Come on. <laughs> they booked too many cracking games. Hey, uh, yeah. Mike, Mike said in that interview just did that they would love to play there. Oh, yeah. Loved it. Yeah. I definitely want to say thank you for having both of us on. I'm pretty sure this is the first time that you've had two people on. And I know that you guys have always been really about like connecting people and hearing like the stories of friendships that were made. And it literally was just a random fluke that Calvin wanted to stand somewhere differently than I did. And then, you know, meeting Duke and talking to him and becoming friends. And even when I took my kids up to Seattle, the first time that we were ever in Seattle, um, Duke had already moved up there and he like gave us this totally amazing walking tour and my kids like even if I talk about somebody random they're like oh is that your friend from Seattle I'm like no it's somebody else but you know just to, to forge these friendships that are are like he was saying earlier it just was so natural and organic and to really like actually end up loving these people that you barely really know, but you become invested in their lives. Like I know Randy, you and I have talked about completely non-related Pearl Jam stuff because like we're humans and we need that kind of network and then we need that kind of love in our lives because there's so much negativity and so much stress and so much anxiety out there. So I'm really grateful for the people that I've met, all four of you included. And I really wanted to say thank you for letting us be the flagship of two guests. I'm just flattered and honored that, you know, you consider us to be part of this 
what would seem like an illustrious group of, you know, fans that connect with you. And, and I consider it illustrious because it's, man. Cause it's important to, to you. It's important to Dukes. It's important to me. It's important to John. It's important to all of us. Mm-hmm. So that's the yeah. main reason why I wanted to get you guys on because I knew that the stories of friendships need to be told. That's Absolutely. 100%. You look at the music, you look at the performances, but this band is about the connections that you make. 100%. And absolutely. And I'm pretty sure that that's the way that I met you guys in the first place was yes. telling my MSG story mm-hmm. where Ed's talking about, you know, all the people that we've met and we've loved or we've married or we've whatever. And having been there with, you know, the three other people that I don't even think you could pay us enough to be in the same room together, but I still love them dearly. You know, just all of those weird things that I guess would you would consider coincidental, but in my optimistic heart, I say aren't. No. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't say it any better, Deb. I mean, this is, this is a, it's a whirlwind and I just feel like I have the privilege as well as I have a responsibility to, to like feed this energy that I am like in my, in my bedroom right now, like yesterday I was going and picking up my dinner and it said 20 minutes. I'm like, well, guess where I'm going to go get a beer. And like, you're walking into easy street and you're just grabbing a beer with Mikey Adams. Who's our, like our bartender up there. And I'm talking to Kevin, who's the co-owner there. And he just got a brand new ukulele from Ed on Wednesday night. And you're just like, you know, you're just trying to, you're just feeling all good vibes when you come into this community in and out. And there's not a day that goes by where I'm not thinking about how to like spread the love and everything. And a lot of that has to do with just knowing that there's people out there like you all. Yep. Agreed. Thank you guys for, for sharing coming on and uh, just getting to hang out with you guys. That's all I need. That's it. Anytime. We love you. Once again, thanks to both Deb and Dukes for coming on. They're fantastic people and really love sharing the memories with them. And you know what? That's not going to be the last time you hear from them because they talked about some songs during the set. So I said, you know what? Let's throw that conversation in with the song. So you kind of get our take on the song and a little bit of their take on the songs too. Because this is a 34 song set, I don't think we need to do too much tea up. I think we just dive right in. The show is about to begin. And of course, for 2013, it can't open any other way than Pendulum. And since it's also 2013, it's going to have the three song slow burn. So Pendulum is going to go into Nothing Man and Sometimes. Yeah, you know, as much as we, you know, as probably people expected there to be a a long road here, Pendulum is the choice for 2013, like I said. And and it's it's a good Pendulum. I thought Jeff was doing some really interesting stuff melodically. We haven't mentioned this in a while. The group vocals at the end where everybody comes up and is, is on the microphones at the same time. That's always a cool visual. Thought, multiple yeah, moments in very this. Good here. There's multiple moments in this show where there are group moments. are very cool to watch because, again, that doesn't happen very often. So, yeah, you're you're right on with that. For, for Pendulum, I was thinking that Stone set the table for what he was going to sound like all night because there's a lot of good stone songs in this set oh yeah and yeah. you listen to this and you listen to how electric his guitar is sounding and how vibrant it is like that's the way he is all night it's perfect for this night and then nothing man sometimes look nothing man is of course going to be the sing-along that kind of gets you in and people kind of get comfortable with that but i think that all three of these songs together it was kind of building each one pendulum kind of starting at the 
lowest level, then Nothing Man building up a little more, and then sometimes mm. a little bit faster than Nothing Man. So it's kind of getting you into your moments where you're building to a Y go and lightning bolt that are going to come in the next section. Sometimes it was definitely fast. It was like speed sometimes. It has that aggro build that Ed does where he's like, he starts screaming and then you see him kind of smile like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Just You just build on from there. Sometimes they can use that as a transition into the punk rock part that would follow. That's right. And I don't know if you caught this, but Ed, after sometimes he was trying to bulk his guitar at one of the orbs at top. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to talk about the orbs later. We sure are. So that takes us into Ligo, Lightning Bolt, Minor Matters all night. Lightning Bolt and Minor Matters just about every night on this tour being played back to back. Ligo, I thought, needed a little bit more bass. I think that... I guess what you're expecting from Jeff is that the bass sound is supposed to just be cutthroat. It's supposed to kind of cut like glass. And I didn't feel that way on this. It was just a little bit reverberating, but not too much. Later in the show, there'll be a moment where I'm like, that's the exact sound that I want from Jeff that I wanted earlier. But this one, I, I don't think we got the full scope of what Jeff can do on Wigo. Hmm. I can see that. He's going to have some good moments later, but... This one, it didn't have, like, the bite, like, the crunch to it. I see what you're saying. Lightning Bolt was pretty good, though. I thought Lightning Bolt was pretty yeah. good. You get the, yeah. the Great Southwest line substituted in there. And I, I think Lightning Bolt, especially at this point, it was very, very easy to attach to this. And there's another song that's going to come later that's off the record. That one, it felt like maybe the band wanted people to attach to, but didn't. But Lightning Bolt right away, I think everybody kind of saw common ground with the song and, and it really lit up this tour really well. There's a great mic solo too at the end. Like he really takes off because there's a little lead and like Stone does a little thing, like his little lead and then Mike just sends it into the stratosphere. It's very good. And then, of course, at the end of the section, kind of capping it off, which is appropriate because they usually do it when, yeah, they're going to be there for a while. And yes, three hours and 20 minutes is while they were there a long time at this show. They capped the section off with All Night, which is, of course, mentioned a hundred times that this is the song that I seemingly can't get rid of. Just about every show that I've been to, it gets played. But... I thought that this version was pretty good. I thought that the riff felt really tight and the performance did have some bite to it and it sounded like Matt was in full power on it. The thing I noticed during All Night is like a couple of people behind the stage have two signs that say light years that they're going to get a treat later on. They sure are, yeah. Ed, 
addresses the audience for the first time, wants to see them, and then formally greets the crowd. People say this, but when we come here, we actually mean it. Some of us are semi-local boys, so it means more from us when we say it's good to be here in San Diego. It's been a while. Traffic still sucks. It was a perfect Seattle day here in San Diego. Keeps going and says, this is more comfortable than what we remember. A nice, intimate vibe with all the flags. It looks like you had the customs people busy. He says, his brother is shining a light above him. And if you're thinking his brother, you could be thinking, he has three. You could be thinking one of two. You could be thinking that it could be his brother Jason that we talked about a couple months ago when we talked about the Den Hog show where he got to play bass. Or you could be thinking about his brother Chris. It's his brother, Chris. And if that name comes to mind, it's because I think he revealed it for the first time on the Howard Stern interview that his brother tragically passed away a couple of years ago in a horrible hiking accident. And yeah, like that was something that nobody addressed. He didn't say anything. And that just kind of came out of nowhere. And you really felt that he was was dealing with this for a very long time when that news came out so many tragedies like this guy's been through so much and like it seems like we sometimes like focus on the musical side of it and the seattle bands and everything everybody knows the tragic stories but this is like family you're talking about and that's uh-huh. kind of like i'm surprised he even talked about it on that show i mean that's something intensely personal and like we don't know a lot about chris i couldn't even pick him out of a lineup but yeah it's just it's just awful like feel so bad that these tragedies keep happening Yeah. And again, uh, you know, you mentioned it, it somehow seems to be circulated around people that Ed loves. And Taylor Hawkins is another one. Uh, They just did Ohana and I think everybody got together at Ohana. There's a big picture of all the the 90 stars like Ed and and Dave Navarro and Jack Smith. Yeah, Yeah, Beck. Yeah, and Taylor Hawkins was in that. So yeah, he has a connection to that. So that stuff always seems to keep at you and it it just never goes away so of course this is a this is a very family oriented show like i think ed mentions all all of his brothers are there Mm -hmm. we're gonna get to some more family stuff later but yeah san diego is like a little bit of a homecoming for them it's really interesting here that given a fly is dedicated to chris because that's a song that is seemingly like dedicated for a positive powerful moment and it seems like in retrospect from then to now it seems like it was weirdly purposeful that makes more sense now than it did back then you know what i mean yeah it's a little more poignant in retrospect it's just just a suiting choice for this and not not just that but for the set as well matt's playing really well on all of these but matt's gonna have a great show here and the flourishes and giving a fly is what i was hearing however i think the conversation here comes from in hiding or tremor christ we don't know why don't we have dukes and deb tell the story of this when ed stops stone and says, hey, I, you know, for where we are, I thought we could just fit one in. You just are like, oh my gosh, what is this gonna be? Hey Stone, I was gonna gonna sneak one more song in between that one. Just because it's appropriate for your 
where I think Deb and I became besties. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's just when Tremor Trip Christ kicks in and you're just like, holy shit. Like we're getting yep. Tremor Christ off the audible. This is going to be a phenomenal show. Well, and that's always been one of my favorites of all time. And especially for him to just throw that in there last minute like that. And obviously not having seen it in so long. Obviously it was a tour debut. It's always felt like a very San Diego song to me, but I would absolutely agree that that song is when I was like, you know, I'll just chill with whoever I'm around. But when you and I are both freaking out about the same songs and in the same way, like not being rabid weirdos about stuff and not being like, we're too cool for school about stuff. I was definitely like, oh yeah, this guy's my people for sure. But he, he didn't sing the line the way that he did in 95, and that was disappointing. A tiny bit, like a little at the end. He goes, when they... A, a, a little bit. A little Come bit. on, you're talking Vitology Tour. You're not going to get any better than that. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> exactly. We know better. Tremor Christ got in there, and it was 75 shows since they had played it, so a long time. And who knows if they had soundchecked it or not. We're not sure what the soundcheck was for this show or shows before it, but... For a song that hadn't been played in that long to get sound checked, I thought it sounded really good. I wouldn't think it was sound checked because, yeah, the first one since 2010, and it has an interesting start. It took them a little while to get going on it. I felt like there was at least one person that wasn't quite confident as to what they were doing at the beginning of it, but it gets there. I sense the same thing, but once it started to pick up, it felt like the band was in tune with it and in key with it. So yeah, that worked out for them for sure. These two back-to-back, obviously Tremor Christ you consider in the rare category, In Hiding is in the more uncommon category, but these two packaged together makes you feel when you're there, like you're getting kind of a holy shit moment as, as you know, oh, Deb yeah. and Dukes alluded to. And you're anticipating that the rest of the set is gonna have more of these gems in there, which 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 it does. And this one too, I think this was a big moment for those of us who like care about the really like deep, rare trivia about this band because before in hiding I think Ed mentions, Oh, this one used to be called Morning Sun or Morning Morning Song and like if you go back and look in the Lost Dogs liner notes, some of those reels have a song called Morning Song on them and now we know that that's in hiding. Right, yeah. Look, this version, I I go back to what I said about Stone earlier, and this was a really good Stone show. Him and Mike are completely in sync on this version of In Hiding. melded so perfectly together, and I almost thought it was like a harmony. It sounded like angelic, sounded like kind of an angel singing a song from the heavens. And that's not what you really think when you think In Hiding, but... It was just that beautiful and wonderful rendition that it was yeah. the first thing that came. It, it felt like art more than it felt like a song. You know what I mean? Yeah. In, in an alternate universe, the song's been played 500 times. Like it's right. been played less than 100, and they're all probably very good. This is one that should have been a bigger hit than it was, and it is a crowd favorite, but it deserves to have been played a lot more. I can't disagree with you there. And this version, like every version of this, like you said, there's probably not a bad version. But the big build that gets you to the ending run where it builds you to that big euphoric moment where Ed can really stretch his voice. This one was really well done. This one was a highlight of the show. Absolutely.
Carter, as you mentioned, he talked about what he called Morning Sun, but is really Morning Song, the original for In Hiding. He talked about that here, and then mentions a guy named Rob, who we're going to get to in a little bit, came from the Philippines, and he invited him to the side stage. And then there's a weird story. Ed telling a story about how his soul and body, and look, it was hard to keep up with this one, so if I don't get it verbatim, that's probably Ed's fault, not mine. (laughs) But he said soul and body not being the same thing, he tried to take his soul into the bathroom to see what he looked like, and he says, oh, I'm not on shrooms, I'm not on shrooms. And then at the end of it, he was just like, wait, I, I was on shrooms. Okay, I was on shrooms. What, yeah, someone what the there's hell a, did you there's, take a, there's a crowd reaction that's like, wait a minute. And he's like, yeah, you're right, I was. I don't think that story could have ended with any other finish to it. I don't know what other situation you can think of where you say that your soul and your body or whatever this was. I Again, very, very confusing. But you know what? That's Ed for you. He talks a lot at this show. Setting forth... Swallowed Hole and Army Reserve. This is kind of a a unique little section here because they're all pretty uncommon. You know, you don't get setting forth too often. Swallowed Hole is probably not coming back anytime soon. Army Reserve dips in and out here and there. I think we could talk about Army Reserve a little bit, but Swallowed Hole, because I mentioned it before, while Lightning Bolt was really the song, the big takeaway song from the record and from the tour, I think maybe, and I've mentioned this before on the show, I think maybe Swallowed Hole was the one where it's like, okay, let's build off of what we had with Unthought Known and see if we can get it again. And it just didn't work for this one. I thought that this performance was fine. However, again, it was really hard to hear the crowd and hard to, to see if they responded to this. I thought this was good. I actually, I like Swallowed Hole here. And it surprised me a little bit because, like I said, it's only been played 15 times. We hardly ever talk about it. And it's always one that's like, oh, yeah, it's like, like you said, it's like the little brother to, to Unthought Known. But I thought it was pretty good here. And maybe it's because it didn't have like a big song around it. Like there's no daughter. There hasn't been an even flow yet. We're about to get to it. But there's not like a really big anchor song in this little midsection here yet. Maybe that helps. But yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was fun. It's really five in a row here from Tremor Christ up until Army Reserve that you're like, okay, this is not a set list that, that we're that familiar with, especially setting forth into Swallowed Hole. Doesn't feel like it's a natural transition. I thought the transition worked, but usually it's like setting forth into like a not for you or something mm-hmm. like that. That really works because you're, you're working off the drum roll there. But look, they're kind of throwing stuff at the wall here and, and yeah. trying to see especially, if the lightning bolt song works. Especially right in the middle of the set. Like you would normally get these maybe later in the set after they've already hit a couple of the, the big crowd favorites. Or you might get a couple of spliced in early and a couple of spliced in late. But to get the like five uncommon songs right in the middle is a little bit strange. Compared to what's coming later in the set, though, like I think the uncommon stuff kind of builds and gets better as the set goes yeah. along. So. Yeah. You know, that makes sense. Not to say that In, in Hiding and Drummer Christ weren't good, because they were fantastic, of course. Anything on Army Reserve, because Dukes and Deb kind of mentioned that at some point in the beginning, that this was dedicated to local heroes, and he's referencing Camp Pendleton, which I'm sure is a Navy base over there. Yeah, I, famous. The song seems to have, like, a different element to it every time I hear it. I don't know hmm. why, but, like, I feel... You know, obviously, it's been a while since we've done this one because we haven't really dug into avocado too much lately. But it always feels like they're trying something new and they're kind of experimenting with it a little bit. 
It's one of those that always seems to get played when they're at these places that have a big military presence around them. The song, I could take it or leave it. I mean, here you're getting into another one they hadn't played since 2010, so it makes sense they would bring it back being around, you know, the area. But it just it just feels like it doesn't quite hit for me. What's good is is that Even Flow is going to come afterwards, and I think you really you did need the Even Flow after those oh, couple songs. Yes, because yes, does how really. long is how long has it been? It's been since Given a Fly since the fans have had like a real sing along. That yeah. that doesn't feel like a while, but in this show, that could be like forty minutes right there. This is a long show, remember? So we're actually going to give the nod to Dukes here and and go back to him because this was one of his favorite moments from the night. Again, being in the front. And being able to see even flow, that's special for people. Let's hear what Dukes had to say about it. This is something absolutely insane for me. Because I've never been that close for a Pearl Jam concert before. And something was really messed up with Jeff's bass at the beginning of the tune. Yes. If you watch the video. But McCready begins with the solo behind his back. And then... It's just an absolute face melter by him into a Cameron Bash. So I just was blown away by that. That's definitely a highlight for me. And being in that kind of a close proximity, which is rare, especially a GA proximity where we're not being smushed, you know, to like painful sardines. Yeah, it was really, really beautiful. This was Mike doing all the Jimi Hendrix tricks here, you know, oh, he's yeah, going keeps, behind keeps the back. Better and better, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. This and it just gets juiced up, and the ending Ed is prompting the crowd to sing, and that's the moment the crowd wanted to explode for, and they got it. Definitely. And then when he starts the solo, you're like, okay, this is going to be a pretty standard info thing. But then, like, almost every measure going through it just keeps getting better and keeps building, keeps building. I really like that. Then you're like. Oh, wait, here comes Matt Cameron. So that that's just a little icing on the cake there. Speaking of Matt Cameron, we're going to get introduced, kind of. We're not actually introduced to them, but they're mentioned here. And Ed is mentioning that there are a lot of band member families. And Matt's mom, Helen, sister, and brother, Patty and Pete, are all in attendance. You know, that's that's one thing we don't... You know, we know a little bit about Ed's family. We know... A lot about the wives, I feel like, but we don't know much about siblings and parents. And I feel like at this show, we were able to figure out a little bit of Mike, a little bit of Matt. And, you know, there have been times where, especially when they're in Missoula, where we can figure out kind of Jeff's background a little bit. And then then Stone here and there, I don't, I don't know if Stone... No, there is a stone moment in 1996 in Barcelona, I believe, or or Portugal, something like that, where his parents came. Hmm. But it's just interesting that you almost don't think of it in a way like you don't think of, oh, Matt has a mom that wants to go and, and see him play. You just think of it as like they're just rock stars. And of course, they have a family, but we can't see him or hear him. So they're almost incognito to us. And it's weird to hear this because... We're used to them being so private, you know, back in the 90s, that stuff was all kept very secret and like they never talked about it for good reason. You know, that you want to keep your private life private. Oh, yeah. 
And it's a little strange to to hear this in the 2010s where it's like, yeah, here's so-and-so's mom and here's so-and-so's brother and, like, here's the kids. And, like, it's a little strange for someone who grew up in the 90s era to see this kind of change of, you know, this paradigm shift in the way the family's treated. But it's, it's nice. I mean, that's it's nice that they get to come, and especially at a show like this where, you know, Ed spent some time when he was younger and like that's the thing about the show it's just very nice it's got good vibes they seem to be real happy so if it's working it's working we have to also mention here we kind of talked about Ed's brothers Ed's mom of course they're there Jason not invited to the stage this time to play bass I think that's another relative (laughs) is going to get the nod here also Mike's dad is there and Mike's dad is there with a friend and the story is going to be told a little bit later of Mike's dad and, and his friend. That's a really, really nice story. But here Ed kind of says like, Oh, it might seem like we're showing off for the parents, but we really just do this every night. And then kind of gesturing to Mike, he says he might've toned it down not to freak his dad out to say, Oh my God, my son's a monster. Just a funny I, moment. I think and it embarrassed Mike a little bit. He kind of got a little red so? face and like backed up a little bit. Like he was like, oh, come on, man. Like, yeah, that was it's, funny. it's funny because when you're in your 40s, like that, that stuff shouldn't seem like a big deal anymore. But like, that's yeah. more of a, you know, if parents come to see like the teenager kind of college kid kind of band, you, you get really embarrassed when you shout them out. But hey, you know what? Mike's a big kid inside. So I guess that that kind of goes with that. All right, so the tee up into insignificance, you got people who fly the planes here and we build them, and that's gesturing up in Seattle with Boeing. Insignificance is, of course, a song. And, you know, look, I've been very, very high on this song lately, and we've done a lot of earlier versions of this that I've just been blown away by. You get to it like 13 years after it's in its prime, you know, 10. I'll give the credit to to 10 years after its prime. And I thought that this kind of tapered off a little bit. I don't want to say I was disappointed, but you're just noticing because last week we did it. And last week it was one of my favorite parts of that show. It just had that monster build to it. And this, it just, it, it didn't have that Midas touch that it had in 2000 like you can see like little parts like it didn't feel as fierce it didn't feel as intense in spots and the one thing that kind of i don't know why it stuck with me but there's a matt fill that's supposed to be in the big lead up to the end that's supposed to be in that big ramp up and it i don't know if he was trying to do something different or not but for me that didn't feel natural to the song yeah, see, I didn't get that at all. I like this. I think the thing that redeems it for me, the part that I took notice of was Jeff has a like a little solo in the build, the quiet part, and it's awesome.
This is where Ed addresses Rob from Manila again. He's invited on stage. Ed mentions that they played Manila in 1995. That's a show we did a long time ago, and we didn't even really do the full thing. He missed that one, but now he's made it. There was a typhoon in Manila very shortly before this, and he says that they were thinking of the people there, and they wanted to send him home with a check. I'm going to defer to Dukes on this, because it's really tough to know the answer, and it's really tough to know the situation, but Dukes did some digging, and, and I feel like this needs to be told if not a lot of people know the back end of where the story came from. Pearl Jam and everyone that works on 10 Club does an amazing job of due diligence and goodwill towards people that are suffering. We're seeing that right now with the work that they're doing to promote global citizen when it comes to Ukrainian refugees and everyone affected by those tragedies over there. And this nice guy named Rob posted saying he was coming to the shows and it was his first time he was coming with his wife and he had named his son Ed after Ed Vedder. But you know, it just was a little weird because I ended up seeing he posted a bunch of stuff on Instagram and I started following him. And the next thing you know, he's posting all these pictures of him shopping on Fifth Avenue at Tiffany's and getting his wife like a lot of really nice stuff. And I know that the checks that Pearl Jam gave out to them were probably not in his name, but it just looked a little off that he was supposed to be in some sort of mourning or like going immediately back after seeing these Pearl Jam shows in LA and San Diego. And then all of a sudden he's just flashing all of this glitz and glamour. That typhoon did not affect him at all. And in the moment before knowing all of that, it did feel like a very sweet and very touching moment because he calls him up to the stage. He plays a couple songs and then, you know, we're all seething with jealousy of this fan that's on stage with our yeah. people. And, you know, it, it really was pulled on your heartstrings some. Well, not some, but a lot because, you know, the the Pearl Jam community band and fans alike are are very active in positivity and helping people and, and championing you know, the ocean and tragedies and, and people that are standing up for other people's rights and stuff like that. So in the moment, it, it was a very, very beautiful thing that we all, you know, got the warm fuzzies in our heart. And they always tell us what your Vitology Foundation money is going towards, whether it's Surfrider or, or whatever, <laughs> something in Encinitas. Yep. And we love that. We love that. And it was just kind of like another layer of the beauty that is the fandom and the 10 club and Vitology foundation. All right. So you don't want to say that like he wasn't grateful for it, but again, you got to look at his reaction to it. How, how, how would you put his reaction? What do you, th- what, yeah, it's, what it's would a you little say? weird. It's almost like he won the lottery or something, right? It's a little, it's a little weird. It, it seemed almost as if, he wasn't, and it's really tough, and I think Dukes mentioned it, like, was he affected by it or not? You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, most people that were affected by it probably wouldn't leave the country, you would think, right? Or couldn't leave the country. Yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all strange. There's like, there's something missing. There's a piece of the story that we, that we don't have that, that just doesn't fit. 
Right, right. But I mean, he got the whole treatment. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. If you look at, there's a set list photo out there that has him on it, and uh-huh. he's holding up the set list and, and with, uh, with the mouse guy and RJ something. I can't remember the. Guy. You, do you know what I'm talking about? The little stuffed animal mouse. No. It's all like RJ biscuits or something like that. Yeah. After every show, they'll give it to like a fan or they'll give it to somebody, and uh, their their crew will take a picture of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't um, know about this. Yeah, back. Oh God, you have to go back to episode five. This is where we talked about RJ in episode <laughs> five, where Steve actually got to take a picture. Him and a like a crowd of a couple of people got to take a picture with with the, with the rat. So it's like RJ biscuits or RJ like McButters or something like that. It's and look, you know, I'm gonna probably look it up afterwards. It's probably not even Googleable. So I I know he's on Twitter though, but. Anyway, we we digress, and and Sirens is going to follow up after the dedication and and bringing Rob up to the stage. I think this needs to be addressed because this is days before the incident. And when I was out on paternity leave, you and the State of Love and Trust guys covered this show in, in L.A. where the incident went down. And it didn't seem like this one and maybe it was just to the naked eye. It didn't seem like there were any issues. It it seemed anticlimactic, but in retrospect, you're, what you're seeing is Ricky Ramones, one of his last nights with the band. And little did he That's know right. a couple nights later, he, he would be gone. Yeah. That was interesting to see. Yeah. Cause Ed like gets real angry on stage. I, I did notice him coming out there. I was like, Oh yeah, that guy. It seemed like the transition went well, though, or at least yeah, like yeah. not passable, completely passable. Not. Sure. And the other thing I want to mention about Sirens is that at the end, the song finishes up, but Ed continues to play. And it seems like there's some hesitation on it. And of course, what we know now is that it happened mostly in 2014 on that tour where the song was extended and kind of had like the crowd doing the ah, oh, back and forth. This, and look, I have not listened to every show in 2013 to say it confidently. This feels like it might be the first version where he does this. It's definitely early on. And I, you know, I like to call that the little sirens reprise sure. thing. But yeah, it's definitely, definitely, if not the first one of the first ones. Better Man follows up on Sirens, and it seems like we haven't covered Better Man in a while because we did all those 1992 shows, and I think it came up, maybe not last week, but the week before, like either Hartford or East Lansing, 
And whatever version it was from that show, it was very straight up. It was very much like the radio version with no save it for later tag, no big kind of crowd grabbing moment to it. And now we're back to what is the crowd grabbing moment. And it felt like a pretty big moment. And honestly, better man in most situations would get you right into porch and really end the set, but they're firing back up after better man and you're not done yet. So you're picking up momentum and then you're feeding off of it. That's I, I find that very interesting. I mean, it's, it's an extended main set. You're looking at 20 songs here. Better man. Again, it's they're splicing in these crowd ones. Cause you had even flow. Then you go to a couple of deep cuts and new one. And then you're, you're getting to the end here and you gotta, you gotta hit the hits. So the call and response is really good. Again, it just felt like they were having fun, good vibes all around. Not much to say about it. Theatrical. Yeah. That's that's when Better Man's at its best, absolutely. Ed shouts out lose records, not loose or loser or whatever I thought it was. Lose Records is a San Diego record shop that he used to collect from back in the day. And of course, when he's talking about records, we're going to get in Spin a Black Circle. However, there is no Let the Records Play here. I don't know if yeah. that had started yeah. up just yet, but you would think like on this tour, they would they would package it together. But what we're getting, and this is kind of a throwback to you mentioning this very early in the set, what you're getting is following Spin a Black Circle, Light Years, which here, like to kind of be your penultimate main set song, is interesting. You would think Spin the Black Circle builds and would just build into a porch or maybe like a Do the Evolution would come in between to kind of ride that wave of energy, but it kind of has more motion to it. You know what I mean? Light Years is weird because like, yeah, you're building up with Better Man. You're, like you said, you're building up and then Spin the Black Circle, you're getting to the crest of that wave and then Light Years kind of like... Okay, like everybody kind of like... The tide went down, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. But not, not that it's a bad thing. It's just when you're talking about crowd and them and stuff like that, that's what happens. But I like this Light Years. I mean, they hadn't played it since 2011. Another one, I think, looking at live footsteps here, it's been 46 shows. I like it because it has a nice build to it, and Ed's doing a little vocal improv thing at the end where he's talking about calling. I don't know if that's referring to calling the person in the song, the person that the song is about, like maybe trying to emphasize, like reaching out to them. I thought that was a cool moment. And he does dedicate it beginning of the song. He said, this one's for Ryan Kelly and Lacey. So I don't know. And, and another lyric change that I noticed was we need you here. And like, and I think something was on his mind. That feels like a, that feels like a family that lost someone. Yeah. 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 Light years kind of being the penultimate opens you up the doors for porch and porch is going to be another moment that we're going to defer to Deborah McMurtry on to get her take of what she thought of it. I think that seeing porch live was, I mean, porch live is always phenomenal to me, even though it's like a staple, it makes its way into the majority of the set lists and stuff. Being as old as we were at the time, and we're even older now, but being as old as we were at the time and to have, you know, this opportunity to do general admission, which I didn't think was ever going to happen again. And knowing that like my fan club number is low, but not low enough to ever get me like front row this was very very special to be able to maneuver to be able to maneuver safely and still have cold air to breathe and then you know one of the benefits of blackout is i didn't know that ed like generally came down and was like leaning against the rail and people like helping holding him up while he sang it and i'm not one to usually have my phone out during shows at all because i'm not trying to live behind a screen but damn it if i didn't take that phone out for that 
and I looked beyond my screen, but going home and having the video for that, reliving that moment over and over, like, and again, I'm not always someone that's like, oh my God, Eddie better he was right there. But just to be like, oh my God, he was right there. It just, it really mirrored my first San Diego show when it was like, oh my God, they're right there. I never thought I'd have that opportunity again. And Arch has just always been massively significant anyways. So what I love about this version here is that you have Mike and of course the orbs kind of go swinging around, swinging around. And at this point, they know the drill. They kind of can know sort of the spacing and how much space they need in between the orbs and stuff like that. And this is the 17th show on, on the tour. And still it comes back at, at Mike and he needs to dodge it and kind of falls a little bit, which is, is pretty funny. There's some shenanigans going on. Yeah. Mike's Mike's having a moment here. Yeah. Yeah. While well, Ed is going down to the barricade, shaking hands, kissing babies, doing his whole thing. And, you know, I, I feel like this is one of these moments where Ed with the crowd, like leaving the crowd fired up for more for what's going to be another major 14 more songs in the encore. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. And there is, we should say there, you know, this on the video, you can see there's a broken orb. We don't see how it got broken. Right. But I'm assuming Mike did something and broke it. You see the shell of one swinging by in the background. You're like, oh, somebody screwed up there. All right. We are at the Encore. Let's pause for station identification. We just have to thank people today. That's basically what has to happen. Somehow, the message from last week, the message from whenever got across to people that we are looking for funding for just anything that's going on on tour that's that's going to help us do what we do. And a lot of people responded to that and, and not just through Patreon, but people kind of donated and sent to Venmo as well. And I, I want to thank those people that, that did. Curtis Ames, of course, he's a longtime listener and longtime friend of ours. And, and he was able to chip in a little bit and help us out. Clearly, he's, he's been a patron for a yeah. while. I, Thanks, I think Curtis. I think Bradley Piasecki, he bumped up his Patreon donation, which is another good friend, another one that's been here for a very long time and supports the show for a very long time. So so thanks to Bradley and, and uh, Brian Horowitz as well. Brian, of course, is part of Hallucinogenic Recipe, which we'll talk about in just a second. Again, another great friend, and he does such a great job with Patrick over on the recipe episodes. And, and again, we're going to talk about that in a second. He bumped up a little bit too, which again, like so thankful that people are thinking of us in this moment, especially when everybody has individual tour funds that they need going on right now. And, uh, you know, it's not just us, but it is really wonderful to see people that are interested in pitching in. And that's where we have today six people to thank. And that's very humbling. Let's start with Emmett Fitzhume joining the bonus leg, the yearly bonus leg, actually, for $10 for the year. Thank you, Emmett. Bert Bondi, Bert's another one, joined the bonus leg and signed up for the full year for $10. And that's the thing that we recommend the most. Thank you very much, Bert. Corey Smith, Corey Smith joined the Giga Leg. So Corey, you're probably going to get an episode at some point in the future. So reach out to us. We're going to get you an episode for any show that we haven't done yet that you want us to cover. That's all yours. And another one that joined the Giggleg tier, that is Michael Radke. I, I know I've seen Michael's name around. I think he's 
followed us on social media for a while. So he joined the Gigleg as well. And just like Corey, Michael, you're going to get an episode for, for yourself at some point in the future too. So reach out to us and let us know what you want us to cover. And we're very excited for both of you guys to throw something good our way because we always love it. So, and then two more, we have Derek Laub who also joined the bonus leg tier for a year subscription. And Derek is another one that's been following us on social media for a while. So thank you, Derek and James Penna, who actually reached out and said hello and requested that we cover the first Fenway show from 2016. I said, I'm not ready for that one yet. Most <laughs> people that know, know, but yeah, that, that one might, might it, happen it, at a it way lost later to Katowice. So it has to be on the back burner for a little bit. Yeah. And especially because of my stories. Yeah. Yeah. Not ready for that, but James, thank you very much. He's a fellow Connecticut. So of nice. course, going to give him the shout out there. And he also donated for the yearly bonus leg tier. Thanks to all those guys. That's amazing. You know, guys, Pearl Jones playing 37 shows this year. That's the most they played since 2006. So now is a great time to get in. If all those new patrons, make sure you go back and check the back catalog of all this, the episodes and stuff, all the Bridge School stuff, the Devo episodes, all the extra stuff that we put out. There's tons of great stuff in the archive there. Make sure you go back and check that out. But yeah, we've got so much great stuff planned for this year, and, and all our patrons are, are making that happen, so we appreciate it. Once the show starts, we're going to really be ramping up the content here. We're going to be putting a lot out to Patreon, especially instant reaction episodes. And it's going to be tough for us to react right away because they're West Coast shows. We're East Coast people. So once the day in between happens and we're able to kind of take in the show and kind of understand what happened, we'll probably record something on the night after and then post it to Patreon in between. So you will get... Not quite instant reaction, but as instant as humanly possible. And all of that stuff is going to be on Patreon. So if you're interested in that and you're interested to hear what our thoughts are, then Patreon's the best way to do it. And new to Patreon in the last week, we actually have two episodes that just came out. One came out earlier this week, which is the brand new hallucinogenic recipe episode that focuses on the Orpheum Theater. I suggest you check that one out because it's really fascinating stuff. We bring on our patron, Dan Lear, who had a hand in digitizing the show on video a number of years ago, and it's just fascinating the process that he went through. It's definitely a must-listen if you're interested in that. And also, late last week, the brand new Late Night Series episode came out featuring the Letterman 1996 show. So hopefully you guys are interested in that. And those are on the Patreon platform right now. Patreon.com slash live on four legs or go to the Patreon app and search for live on four legs. Or you can just go to live on four legs.com. That helps us out with the clicks over there. And you can just click on the become a patron button and it shows you the rest of the way. So once you're there at live on four legs.com, just search the website. There's goodies all over the place. We're very, very proud of what we do over there. So definitely check out the Concertpedia post and some of the articles that we have up. All right, I think we can go back to The Rock. So Ed's going to address the crowd again before starting into this little slow burn of, of the encore. And he says, it looks comfortable out here. How does it feel? We have all the gear and fellas and stuff. If you're good, we'll keep playing for a while. Lucky people behind the stage to watch Matt Cameron. And then mentions Tijuana in the crowd, which I believe we left in this episode of Duke's talking about the, the guys from Tijuana. Mm. So 
if you know, you know. And he says, once when I'm driving around the area, it's it's like flooding memories, like watching an old beta tape on fast forward. Passing by, he says he sees a place called Thrifty Gas, which is still there, called something different now. But it was Thrifty Gas and Grass that he knew it as because everybody would sell pot there. So there you have it. He just kind of walks down memory lane here from first job to car to car crash, like all the memories kind of coming back. And this is him waxing poetic about a place that means a lot to him. And, and we say it all the time with Seattle, that that's a hometown show, but, but this is another that's right in the wheelhouse, especially for Ed hometown show for him. And then they, they talk a little bit about the union tribune, newspaper over there that has a byline that's the world's greatest country america's finest city and then kind of makes a quip here that you guys are smarter than the average bear for living in a place like san diego where'd your humility go don't make me remind you about the name of your football and baseball teams and now they don't even have a football team so it's it's right and then he kind of pokes fun a little bit and he says all right you, you gave us ron burgundy but that's enough and oh, that couldn't, couldn't get out of this thing without an Anchorman reference. I was we hoping couldn't. we would, but maybe there was some splices of something Anchorman esque somewhere else in the show. If you caught on <laughs> very early on, then you might know. But it kind of tees up into sleight of hand here, where he mentions that he had to travel for a job where he's wearing a clip-on tie, and I think that he told that story in Brooklyn about sleight of hand. And I don't know if he alluded to that was himself, but he specifically said that the song was about a guy who who worked constantly and just wore a clip-on tie to work. So I wonder if that was kind of channeling where he was at that time in San Diego that we were talking about. Yeah, I mean, we're we're getting backstory on binaural songs. Like, uh, this is amazing. Like, I love this. We talked about a really, really good version of Sleight of Hand last week. Sure. And, oh, yeah. You know, this one again, very, very impressive. It's not lacking power at all. It's building. It's it's got that real nice build to it. I think this is one that maybe kind of in the middle somewhere it lost a little steam because the crowd didn't quite grab onto that it wasn't a very popular binaural song here live but hearing this live in you know the 2010s 2013 sort of era it feels like it it picked up a little bit you know it feels like the band were a little bit more inspired they kind of knew what to do with it they kind of brought the driving aspect to it and outside of that Katowice version it might sound better in this it's very rare to say that that something sounds better from a later era especially lightning bolt but this one maybe you have to consider that yeah I could see that absolutely they're more comfortable with this style now because it's more of a relaxed thing and they can hit the power of it the impact of it a little better now it doesn't have to be mixed in with that it's got a place here yeah I, I like this a lot and following up on that is a song that they next to never play. Oh, and seven times total. Seven times total. And you have to think the album was out not too long ago before this date. And this is the fifth version of this, but they only played it four times on the Packspacer tour. That's it. Oh. It was twice in Philadelphia. They definitely played it in Hartford and, and one other place that I'm not for. Maybe it was Newark. I, I can't quite remember, but yeah, Speed of Sound is being played for the fifth out of seven times. Yesterday's Remember anything moving at the wall, speed. 
been an easy song for them. And you can see that. You know just by watching this, it's like, okay, it's a tough one to replicate the studio version of. And sometimes we'll talk about how the studio version might be better than what they do live. In this case, it's actually the demo version that's better than oh, all yeah. of it, I think. Absolutely. It definitely fell victim of the overproduction. That's probably where they stand with this live, too, that they're trying so hard to replicate what happened on the studio album. That It's just too much. There's too many pieces. There's too much kind of layering to it. And I would, you know, I would love to see Ed play this like at a solo tour. I wouldn't be surprised if he had, but, yeah, probably. you know, maybe, maybe. I don't know if this one's ever going to be on the radar again, but if it is, then maybe it could be one that Ed just kind of comes out by himself and does. It's, so. it's not as bad as I... I think it is and that sounds worse because like you think of those kind of deep backspacer cuts I'm like eh pass but this one's not as bad as I always think it's gonna be and that's the best compliment I can give yeah you know what I've always liked this song I've actually always kind of had a place for this one and and for a long time I, I liked backspacer more than I do now like very early in the first couple of years. So this was one that I attached to. It's a good record in the sense that the whole record flows together really nicely. And, and that is kind of the bridge between, I believe, Supersonic and Force of Nature. So that all blended together and worked together very nicely. Even if it's a record that, you know, neither of us go back to at all. All right, we get a combination here of Just Breathe and Sleeping By Myself. And I think we have to mention that there were a little bit of changes. There were a little bit of, in parentheses, what's, what was going to be done. And Speed of Sound was actually kind of one of the songs in parentheses, kind of an either-or sort of thing. And All or None was crossed off. And Sleeping By Myself, it was kind of the same. Is it going to be Sleeping By Myself or Yellow Moon? Yellow Moon gets crossed off which means Sleeping By Myself is making the first appearance here. Let's get to that in a second, but I think we need to complain about Just Breathe for about two seconds. This is dedicated to a friend named Eric who used to work for the band, used to work for Soundgarden, and is now working for Neil Young at this point, and moved from Seattle to San Diego. And he dedicates it to a lot of people. He kind of throws out some names, but we can ignore this because of one simple factor that is not involved. What is it? There's no bass. Ass. We can move on. Yep. So, mentions before playing Sleeping By Myself, on the new record, we played every song off of it, except for this one. We figured we'd try it out here. Let's take a sip of wine for courage. They needed that sip, because... Maybe they didn't. (laughs) Maybe they didn't. Fair point. It got better. It got better, it's, and it's Ed just can't figure it out. He just can't. He can't remember the chord. Right. Am I just waiting in vain? Oh, I'm a disaster. Do I just seem to go from nothing to again kind of like sirens where somebody's handing him an instrument he's picking up a ukulele and has to kind of cut in mid-song and his mind might not be on that like it, it might just not quite transition the way that he wants it to and for the first time 
you understand that, okay, maybe this is one that, that doesn't, but Ed is really kind of inspired and wants to make it work. So at the end, when they finish the song, they get through it, and he's like, all right, you know what? We're going to do that. We're going to do that over again. I'm going to get this right, and we're just going to keep going with it. kind of a sleeping by myself for prize, but I think it was just a let's let's fuck around and make sure yeah. we're good the next time we want to do it. But it actually addresses the uke afterwards, the the Clarence uke, and says that if he didn't like it so much, he'd smash it. And you know he liked it so much because he still has that ukulele today. Next song is about responsible drug use. The last three of this night are very, very good. Severed Hand, Into In My Tree, Into Rearview Mirror. Severed Hand is rocking, man. Severed Hand, look, another I still, good extended solo. Yeah, mm-hmm, I still love this song from Avocado. There are a couple songs that I still really attach to, and, and Severed Hand is absolutely one of them. It's just, it's just a rocker. Some of these, I think, the concept of the songs can be something like a situation or life, and like something super serious. Severed Hand is one of the rare ones that's just like. All right, this one's about a drug trip. Like, this is a cool rock and roll song that any rock and roll band would kind of come up with and play that doesn't have to mean something deeper than what you hear. And, like, he, he wrote this around, like, Riot Act, right? This was, like, an older one that had that so. had been written earlier and stuck around. So, yeah, it's got a little bit more of an edge to it than some of the stuff on Avocado. This this might be, you know, inside job and, and come back and stuff. Some of the stuff on Avocado has kind of emerged in the last 10 years or so, but Severed Hand was the one right away that you were like, oh, this is, is going to be a good live song. Absolutely, yeah, no question about it. However, you hear Severed Hand followed by In My Tree and River Mirror, it's the latter that's going to pique your interest. Sure. So this was the only time that In My Tree and Rearview Mirror were played back to back, which is, look, stick that feather in your cap if you went to the show. That's, that's amazing because how can you not love those two songs played together? And not only that, but both of them were incredible versions. Obviously, you're, you're the, the go-to for In My Tree and All Things No Code, but before we get into that, remember how in Why Go, I mentioned that Jeff's bass was a little soft. It, it didn't have like that crunch, that, that like glass-shattering kind of sound to it. Yeah, yeah. In My Tree did. Yeah, it's real good. He has another little bass solo in this one that's just fantastic. To me, like In My Tree, it, like it's about the guitars now, which is so weird to think about it because it was all about the drums early on, but it's changed. And, you know, we talked about this obviously in the Evolution episode, but the guitars just take over. Like, and even Ed's guitar on this, I thought fit really well with what Stone was doing. It's just about that wall of guitars and what, what Stone and Mike and Ed are doing. And even Jeff, like, of course, throw that in there. But Ed's guitar felt really kind of jittery, and I think it added a lot to the song. Like, this is a great version of In My Tree. I agree.
it's actually funny you, you brought up the drums and I, I like the first thing that I noticed was that the drum intro for this was a little bit longer for this era because usually after the 2010s what what happens is that the the bass kind of gets you as the introduction to the song instead of the drums so it felt like the drums kind of had more of a play in the intro in the same way that Jack used to do it and, and I, I agree with you I think the guitars really soar in this I think the guitars are really special in this version of in my tree but can't discount what Cameron's doing at all in this like this is sure. I think everybody has a moment the energy just rises song keeps building and building band sounds like they don't want to stop this one either they just want to jam on this continuously so yeah, yeah. fantastic key moment absolutely and then we get a plucky rearview mirror tease you get geared up for the song well what it's, did it sound like to you what, what did this intro of rearview mirror sound like to you if there was a band that was going to cover rearview mirror not the frogs or anything like that what what would what would it be you know what i actually what I'm, like? and i'm trying to think of how it sounded but i can't i can't specifically say i'm not Evo. sure devo devo huh it sounded the, the intro of this sounds like it's a little jittery again it sounds a little bit like devo covering rearview mirror i feel that okay yeah yeah i can see that now it's funny that you mentioned devo because the bridge it felt like it had so many different personalities to it, where it was like a little bit 70s arena rock vibe. It sounded like Jeff was doing a bass run of maybe an Aerosmith song, maybe Sweet Emotion or something like that, it sounded He's like. dancing but, around, too. Like, that was hilarious. To see. Yeah, oh, yeah. Jeff yeah. going crazy. Mm-hmm. And then a little bit towards the end, like Ed's doing the I will forgive, I won't forget oh, kind of thing. forgive, forget, yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the end, like Stone is kind of doing this country western tag on it too. So it's taking on all different personalities. But one of the cool visuals in this, not just Jeff dancing, but Ed is actually playing the wine bottle on his guitar. So that was very fun to watch. Yes, very cool. And he, I think, too, near the end, he's encouraging. He says, catch a big one. Like, he's, is he trying to get them to do the wave? Like, around, we don't get to see the entire um, arena. So I can tell, but it looked like he was trying to get some crowd participation there near the end. I don't think it was specifically the wave. I think when he yeah. said, catch a big wave, it meant, like, come on, let's let's build this. Yeah. Like, like yeah. you always say, I think that's literally building up the waves that, that we always talk about. I, I think mm-hmm. that's what he meant here. And right? a, a little weird, too, the only versus song of the night. I didn't even catch that. Wow. Yeah. With yeah. 34 songs? No no daughter, no elderly woman, no go. Damn. Yeah. You got three by Gnarl, four Vitalogy, and 510, and six Lightning Bolt, but one versus. Look, gun to your head, is this the one versus song that you'd want to hear if they were to play one? Uh... Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's see, same same boat here. So yeah, ending is just a fun, fast strobe light going off. Makes it feel like a really big moment. Everybody's in the groove of it, and it's exactly what Rearview Mirror should feel like to to end a big moment in Encore One, which is going to get us into Encore Two. Of course, the show's not over yet. It's thirty four songs, three hours and twenty minutes long. I don't know if we mentioned that, but Ed. Starts off by saying, I hear the surf is going to be shitting tomorrow anyway, so let's stick around. This is a college campus, I believe, of San Diego State. And then he kind of trails off and, and engages with a fan that can't hear him, which was a little odd. But it all kind of builds up to what we talked about very early in the episode, where his mom is in the audience 
Karen that we can definitively say her name is Karen now. So this is where Ed passes the wine bottle down and says it's a matter of trust and it gets back to her and, and you got to hand credit to Dukes and Deb for being the ones to kind of pass the, the baton yep. along. And then you see her doing her best <laughs> son impression. Big chug and gets a massive round of applause. Well, well done. The next one is dedicated. It mentions all few great women, including Gloria Steinem, who has always been a friend of the band and would just received a medal of honor that week. And that gets into leaving here, which it feels like we've covered this almost every week this year, right? It feels like this has been covered a lot lately. Oh, we, we did it on the, we did just the Letterman thing. So it's, 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 oh, fresh, that's true it's fresh in the memory. Yeah. Right. But I think we had it last week. I think we had it at the 96 show. So yeah, it's been pretty common, but it, it, again, it's, it's funny because I think every time that we've done it, it's had completely different solos for the first three here. Jeff has taken it on the first three. We've said before that later on, the bass line is pretty common to get in the solo. Then we change it up to Matt. Matt gets the last one. I thought that that was interesting because usually when you're switching up like that, you would get kind of a mic to last you at the end. They had it for so long. I like sure. to give the rhythm section a little bit of love here. Let, let the bass and drums have their little moment here. I'm just making up for lost time. Sure, not a problem at all. Black follows, and Black can really start kind of what this ending set is going to be as the emotional moment to speak of for the Encore 2. It really captures a lot of people in this crowd. Going to the end, the solo, and watching Mike do the solo, like you can see that face. We've talked about it before. Yeah. That face, he kind of tilts his head up a little bit. He doesn't look to the sky. His, his eyes are closed, but you can see him just playing out of his just he's, an out-of-body experience you he's know channeling something from deep down yeah mm-hmm. yep this was one of those versions that that meant something that was special to him and i don't know if it's like let's play one let's show my dad what he can do because his, his dad's in the audience but this was a very special version and then at the end you're kind of seeing how long they can last for it and you're kind of getting the crowd involved and then right at the end as as they're all doing the doo-doo-doo-doos we get a very quiet we belong together to finish it off i thought that was very good a plus version because when you get a good black it's one of the highlights of the show absolutely all right i think all in one we mentioned that I think all together here, we'll kind of go through the last five, and that is Evolution, Into Alive, Into Baba, Into Ledbetter, and Into Rockin' in the Free World. That's a lot. I kind of see that's where the party kind of starts. And when you finish with Ledbetter, it doesn't finish. And that's most sets that 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 happens to that. That feels like you have a special one on your hands. That feels like a boot that you would want. And I think alive is the party moment, but I don't think that people realize that the party is not close to ending. You know what I mean? Like when alive hits, it's kind of like, okay, this is our first time to really have the celebratory moment of the night. And then we're going to get like the two more. And then this is going to be a memory, but to get that extra one at the end, that's got to be so satisfying for anybody that's in their crowd. Oh yeah. You think like, okay, evolution alive. Okay. Bob O'Reilly. Okay. That's going to be it. Then we get a long Ed speech, and then it's yellow Ed better. And like, oh, okay, here we go. Like, this is the big moment. We're going to say goodbye to everybody. Then we get a Star Spangled Banner mic thing, which is very cool. Like, oh, okay. I don't think I've ever seen him do the anthem and then them yeah, go off and do something exactly. else. I don't think I've ever exactly. seen that. Yeah. 
I think it, it was probably supposed to be the end. And then he's like, nope, you still got time. Do it. Keep it going. And it's not on the set list either. So it's right. definitely on the spot kind of audible. But yeah, again, like big party moment, big party atmosphere in your hometown for Ed. And this this means something to everybody. The crowd is on top of their game when it comes to Bob O'Reilly and this. They, they're just loud, maybe louder than any Pearl Jam song in the set. It just sounds real, real good. to stop and say thank you a little bit after Baba, but this is what I like. So he's going to bring Rob from the Philippines back up, and he kind of talks about loss of life and says, this is the hard stuff. Life is the hard stuff. Sometimes you, you get to the fun stuff, but this is the hard stuff that you kind of deal with. And mentions two former Major League pitchers, Trevor Hoffman, that he played for the Padres for years and years and years. Jimmy Moore that played for years and years and years, famously played till he was 49. They were doing a food drive during this, so he kind of brings that up and, and encourages people to go to that. And then brings up Mike's dad again, Roy McCready. And he was there with a friend, and I believe they were in the forces together. And I didn't quite catch which war it was for. I'm going to guess probably Vietnam or, or Korean, <laughs> but... This was a friend where they had like what seems to be an airplane accident, something really life altering. And, you know, it was an emotional moment that they got together and met for this. Like that, just hearing him talk about this stuff is just, again, we don't know anything about Mike's dad. We don't know anything about Roy McCready, but we learn a little bit about him here that you can kind of put a couple of the pieces together for what Mike's life might have been. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because, like, you're in kind of party mode here at the end of the show. Like, we're celebrating the show, and then Ed goes off on this, like, really serious life-and-death speech about, like, this whole thing. It's kind of like, oh, all right, man. Oh, uh, well, okay, cool. You know, Yellow Led Better, obviously, we know now is kind of about people like this family that's these young people that are going through war and everything. So he has a way of, like, capturing these little moments. And, yeah, you're you're just finding these things out, like— 20 years into this band at this point where we're getting these little nuggets of things and yeah you're you're kind of filling in the gaps and filling in the pieces just knowing these stories makes me feel closer to them so uh, just great just great stuff and not not much to say about let better here but ed gets a charter's hat tossed in him and he puts it on proudly and then mike goes for the national anthem again i never seen him do the anthem and then get into one more song and the anthem sounds really good here i don't think we really get a chance to to talk about the tag too much but there's some insane feedback on it you know yeah i mean it's it's hendrick style right from woodstock yeah. every every yeah. piece of that taken right from woodstock so ed says fuck it we're gonna stay out there Ray Cameron kind of moseys on to the stage and takes one of ed's guitars for rocking in the free world Right, right away, he doesn't look like he's into it at all. <laughs> it, he's not looking into the crowd. He's, uh, it's like, come on, man. You're playing in front of like 20,000 people, whatever it was. Like, take a moment and recognize how special this is. And maybe it's just the fact that like, okay, this is my dad's band. And like, oh, I, I don't want to. There's a little bit of a vibe of like, dad, do I have to do this? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. And, and he's, I think he's the, probably 15 at this point. 
something like that. Very yeah. young. Yeah. And he, he's gotten other opportunities to play with them. And we'll have to go back whenever it does happen and sort of a dissect what he was doing in those moments. But, you know, John, you kind of uncovered something. So I want you to break this and I want you to tell the people. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm watching this video. I'm watching Ray strum this guitar. You know, the Rock in the Free World gets to the part of the song where it breaks down a little bit. If you want to go to the video, this is it at the three hour, 13 minute, 45 second mark. If people want to go check our work here and it cuts down and you only you hear one guitar, but it's not the guitar that Ray's playing like this. It's obviously Stone's guitar that you hear because he's playing the, the rhythm of the song. And Ray is just kind of doing a straight kind of eighth notes strumming and it occurs to me that his guitar is not turned on or at least it's buried in the mix and guitars obviously have like toggle switches i know like he can he can flip a little switch and that it'll kill the signal to the amp and i wonder if he just did that as soon as he got on i was like i don't know i'm just gonna mime this i don't even it totally fits with his facial expressions with his attitude he would just be like i don't even want to like play this i'm just gonna flip the switch and then just kind of like strum along and no one's gonna be the wiser you see him he was like sticking his tongue out and then like hovering faces at mike and stuff yeah he was he gets a little bit of wine ed pours the wine bottle to him and like that was fun yeah, yeah. You know, we mentioned it. I think there was an episode we did last year where he was on, and we, we talked about his, his new, like, little solo project. It's called, like, Six Figure Retirement. And you're like, dude, is that really, like, the vibe that you want to, like, put out in the world? He kind of comes off as, like, a little bit entitled, like, a little bit spoiled. And I kind of got that vibe from this. There is another story that I know about him. He actually ended up selling his Benaroya Hall for, right. like, half yeah, the price. Yeah just because he didn't have anything to do with it. Like, again, a kid in that position can probably afford his way through most of his life. So what does the full price on a yeah. huge yeah. box set have to do with yeah. it? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, but we'll have to do a Ray Cameron evolution at one point. Figure out, figure out this whole deal. <laughs> we'll have him Going on back to when he, he was like eight. The, he might be the, like the most likely close to Pearl Jam member. Not, that we not after on. we talked about him like this. No, probably not. All right, that's the end of the show. You can see Matt and Ray have have a quick hug, and and Matt's reaction to Ray taking the swig out of the wine bottle is is pretty funny. It sounds like he's like, "Hey, don't do that!" Like he's kind of joking with Ed. So, yeah, fun moment for that. But yeah, Ray didn't really give a shit about the moment. So it happens. He's a teenager. We were all weird when we were teenagers. Sure. All right, your turn to go first. Yep, I'm gonna go number three porch. Number two, In Hiding, and number one, In My Tree. I got tied for a couple of those songs there. Yeah, I'm going to package some together. My number three moment is just sort of the hometown vibe. Usually the moments end up being the songs, but I like to sometimes intersplice stuff that happened at the show and, and stuff like him addressing his mom, him addressing Mike's dad, like that stuff is pretty important. It's a family affair. That's the theme of the show. And yeah, I'll give the number three moment to that. I'm going to say in the number two moment is two songs packaged together. And that's in my tree into river mirror. I'm going to say my number one moment is another two songs packaged together. Tremor Christ into in hiding. I think in hiding was the gem from this show. My favorite moment. Absolutely. Cool. All right. We're up to a rating. What do you got? I'm going to say eight and a half. Like this one is, it's a very good show. It's a very long show. 
but I feel like it's more of a fun kind of lighthearted show than it is like an instant classic nine and up show. So I'm going to give it a solid eight and a half. Uh, that's actually exactly where I am with this uh, eight and a half as well. When you can give a show a distinction like that, that means there's something that you can take out of it. You know, there's something that people are going to remember the show for certain aspects, like Ed's mom, as we mentioned, the family stuff and the hometown stuff. And this is also like, I think they played in 2009, they played San Diego, but after this, they, they hadn't even been back to California yet, you know? Like, until, until coming up very soon. Until like a week or two, right? But <laughs> I think that the vibe of this show is much more important than, I guess, the set list or anything like that that's happening. That's but right. it's deserving of a good mark in 8.5. There's nothing wrong with that at all. All right, before we say goodbye, let's tee you up into what we're doing for next week. And we're still continuing this train of doing shows in locations that they're going to be at. And we just said it like two weeks weeks. or so. Yeah. 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 So we decided we're going to hit up Phoenix next week and we're going to go to a show that I didn't know too much about. I knew that there were a couple of performances on touring band. I looked at the set list and saw a couple things that piqued my interest. So I picked Phoenix from 2000. And I think it'll be interesting to go through it. And I, I think we were on such a high from Katowice last week that I'm really excited to get to another one of these shows. Yeah, it's going to be great. This is that whole early run of 2000. The West Coast run is very good. Yeah, I'm excited. The month of May, we had this plan to do kind of a specialized month with, with specialized shows here. But for the remaining week in April, we're actually going to do Sacramento. And I'm not going to reveal what shows. I'm not going to reveal what years. I'm just going to get it on your mind. We're going to do a Sacramento show. We're going to do an L.A. show. And then we're going to finish off that whole section with a Vegas show. So most of what the band is doing on tour is going to be represented on the pod really well. So we just want to get you guys hyped, get excited, because there's real tour dates. And look, in between the time that they announced Louisville, we haven't actually done an episode. But yeah, they added a date. Bourbon and Beyond. And I'm there. I got my ticket and a lot of people that are part of the podcast family are going to be there too. So very, very excited for that. We're just going to have fun when these shows come up. I can't stress it enough how excited we are. And look, if you want to pitch into some of our excitement, help out with some of our expenses, head on over to Patreon, donate a few bucks, help us out with some gas or some lunch or something like that. We'll be forever grateful for your your kind gesture. So thank you very much, especially for everybody that, that chipped in and donated this past week. Just a wonderful representation. Can't stress it enough how humbled we are that, that people are backing this and supporting this. So and like I said from the beginning, once the tour dates happen, then you're really going to start to see what Live on Four Legs can really do because we're going to do some fun stuff when we're at the shows. Absolutely. Until that happens, though, next week is going to be Phoenix 2000. So. Hey, if you're into that one, we'll see you next Wednesday, maybe a little later. Whenever you listen to the show, it doesn't matter. But we're going to say goodbye now. So this may be the end. We're here and not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already and I miss you always. Where do you subscribe? Do you subscribe to us on Spotify? Do you subscribe on Apple? Wherever it is, make sure you give us a five-star rating. That'll help out the show tremendously. Get us more visibility. That's all we ask for. Just a little bit of help. That's it. If you want to help out, that's a good way to do it. So I think that's good for the ending right here. John, what's your final word? Hi, Mom. Afternoon delight.
afternoon delight.